and he says, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. That's the beginning of the resistance. Hi, everybody. I'm Bill Little here with Steve Green and Scott Ott. And uh, Right Angles made possible by the members of BillLittle.com, one of whom has repeatedly uh, emailed us saying, uh, you guys uh, predicted that this uh, invasion in the Ukraine would not happen. You did that two weeks ago, and you seem pretty sure of yourself. Are you ready to eat crow on this one now? And I said to myself, uh, no. We all agreed that the invasion wasn't going to happen because that would have been insane. Turns out we were right. So, uh, guys, here, here's something I want to talk about because I think it's it's the reason why the Ukraine war is going the way it's going. Vladimir Putin makes a makes a projection. He he has a guess of what's going to happen. And just to recap for the for the aficionados, he's basically looking at four things. He's looking at capability, not what will he do, but what can he do? What is the capability of his weapon systems? How many people is he putting in there? What is our capability? His second problem is logistics. He's lucky, couldn't pull this off if, if, if Ukraine wasn't connected to Russia, so he could basically drive logistics up to the border. Once the, fire, the, the starting pistol fires, however, he's got to keep those uh, ammunition and fuel and all the rest of that stuff going. If you can cut the supply line, that's a kill. So he's got logistics. He's got training, which is what is the quality of his personnel? How well trained are they versus the competition, which in his 2014 invasion, the Ukrainian army was 6,000 person joke. It just folded like wet tissue paper. And his final consideration is the, is the least tangible of all. And I'm sure it's the one he gave the least attention to because he's a pretty pragmatic guy. But it is by far the most important aspect of any conflict, and that is morale morale. That's it. Do you have the will to win or do you have the will to resist or do you have the will? Ultimately, warfare is a conflict of human wills and the war ends when one side decides that we've had enough. That's it. How do you measure that? Well, I don't think you really can, but you can certainly watch it grow. What we've seen during the uh, uh, the Ukraine invasion, guys, is that from the very beginning, on a daily basis, I've watched the Ukrainian morale vector go up and up and up and up and up, and I've watched the Russian morale vector go down, 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 down. And the reason I think that Putin's not in Kiev right now is because he badly miscalculated morale. Uh, Scott, let's talk with you. Your segment this week is on how on how heroic. Uh, the Ukrainians have been and how that heroism has admired, has, has ignited a great deal of admiration. But admiration and morale are not really quite the same thing. Uh, in that episode of yours, I contended that if the Ukrainian president had in fact fled with the rest of the cars that were leaving Kiev on the first day, then this war would have been over very quickly, but he didn't leave. He didn't leave. Not only did he not leave, he got into fatigues. And not only did he get into fatigues, he went out in the streets and said, another come to kill me, arrest me, but here I am. And while Justin Trudeau runs away from a group of trucker convoys who are honking horns and waving Canadian flags, this guy is out there on the streets saying he was offered an escape by the United States. I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. When that happens... An electric jolt starts to pass through the, the culture. And morale, Scott, ultimately is yet another form of the most powerful psychological force acting on humans. And that is peer pressure. It's essentially um, 
it, it establishes a norm. When one person does something brave, then somebody else does something brave. Then somebody says, hey, look at these two brave people. I'm going to join them. And then all of a sudden, you've got a brave nation. It becomes your national identity. It's kind of a miracle to watch, isn't it? There's an old saying that, a, that an army runs on its stomach, uh, that you have to keep the troops fed, you have to keep those logistical lines open to keep it moving forward. But in a larger sense, I think uh, an army does not live by bread alone. Um, it requires a, a psychic jolt like the one you described to be able to keep it going. And morale has a lot to do with expectations. Uh, for the Russians, uh, they have such an overwhelming force that Taking Kiev on the first day would have been a big morale boost for them. Not taking it by the second day was a, a morale drain for them because they felt like they should have already been there. Um, it didn't seem like there was any real resistance standing in their way. On the other hand, if you're a Ukrainian citizen, knocking out one troop transport as it's trying to cross a bridge is a big morale boost. Shooting down mm -hmm. one Russian jet is a huge morale boost. Seeing the mayor of your town standing in the town square talking to CNN and holding a Kalashnikov in his hand and saying, we are ready to take on uh, these, these saboteurs, um, that's a big morale boost. Seeing the president of your country who previous to this, his previous job was he was essentially a comic actor to see him standing up with a flak jacket on out in the streets saying, I need ammo, not a ride out of here. That is a huge morale boost. And you're seeing this phenomenon of uh, the ability to administer a centralized jolt of morale to a decentralized group of rebels, in essence, of people who are resisting the massive army. And this is going to be really, really tough for Putin to deal with. Yes, could he, could he unleash the fires of hell and come in here and just level everything? He certainly could. But he has needs too. And he also has troops who I don't think, from what I've been hearing so far, are fully on board with their mission. I don't think that they're confident going in there and taking out what they consider to be part of their country, their brothers. I don't think that they appreciate going from, you know, being part of a training exercise to going in there and being told, oh, you're, you're now going in here to kill people who speak Russian in many cases. Um, so I think that this is going to be uh, a, a net morale drain for those troops. How do you keep those guys fired up? The Ukrainians are fighting for their homes. They're fighting for their towns. They're fighting for their mothers and brothers and for their country. Um, I just saw a quote before we started recording this where somebody had said something about President Zelensky of Ukraine, and he said, I am not iconic. Ukraine is iconic. He's constantly saying glory for Ukraine. He's calling the Ukrainian people to be united in who they are. And he has the force of morale on his side. He also happens to have the force of morality on his side, which is why I think they will be the ultimate victors. So quick follow-up, Scott. Um, of all the things that I've seen, I remember the one that impressed me, first impressed me and continues to impress me is Ukrainian women grabbing rifles. When, when the women of your country are grabbing rifles and heading for the front lines, including Miss Ukraine, I might point out. You had a, you had a, uh, on our backstage show or one of our shows, you'd mentioned uh, that, that she had a particular quote that I thought was interesting. But, but when, when the women are ready to go out there and fight, now you've got the kind of morale that, that becomes 
unbeatable. That's right. Can you uh, can you repeat yeah, I think what there was, Miss Ukraine uh, said? I think it was Miss Ukraine who said that she had trimmed her nails so that she could wield her weapon, basically. I'm paraphrasing. But, um, you know, and she's high fashion kind of person. She's Miss Ukraine. She won a beauty pageant. Um, but she decided that she didn't need fingernails. She needed the ability to squeeze a trigger on a automatic or semi-automatic weapon. And so yeah. she was preparing herself. I also saw a woman interviewed on CNN um, who was a retired economist. She was a grandmotherly looking figure. And she was walking the reporter through the little factory, frankly, that she had set up on her own property uh, with these sort of plastic jerry cans full of flammable fluids and bottles and wicks. And she was making Molotov cocktails. Um, and I, I won't repeat her exact language, but she basically said, this is what's going to meet those Russian invaders uh, if they try to come here. It's, and I, you know, it reminded me of Brian Regan's line where he goes, Grandma? <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Miss Ukraine was pretty when she had the long fingernails, but with the rifle, she's hot. Uh, Steve, let's let's look at the other side of the equation here. Um, Russia, the Soviet Union, suffered such horrendous casualties in World War II that one of the reasons that the Cold War lasted as long as it was was residual admiration for what the for what the Russians had suffered. Their their government system was repulsive, and their and their and their oppression and all the invasions of Czechoslovakia and Hungary and and North Korea invading all of it. But but there was this residual sense that certainly Germany never got from 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 people of conscience, good good people, who said that on some level you almost have to cut the, the Russians some slack because of how much they suffered because they were invaded. Mm. Yeah. What is the, the thing that's driving Ukrainian morale up is that Ukrainians are seeing people acting the way they want to act. They want to see themselves this way. Scott talked about this, and so did you. You, when you see this kind of heroism, you want to be a part of it because it is it is the pride that you feel in what you want your country to be. Now let's look at the other side of this. Now you've got Russian troops who are the invaders. And there is no case for provocation here whatsoever. There just plain isn't. No, no. None. None. And, and when I heard, and I've heard it from enough different places to believe that it's true, although you always have to be careful with these things because you never really know. But when I heard from a number of different cases that Russian soldiers, at least in some cases, were being told they were going to the Crimea for exercises, and the next thing you know, they're being pushed over the border. Doesn't even matter what the border is. Doesn't matter that it's Ukrainians who are who are fellow Slavs. Doesn't even matter that there's no provocation. If my government tells me I'm going to go on training maneuvers, the next thing you know, I'm looking at a at a at a border and I'm about to get shot at. Then my entire experience of this conflict begins with a lie that's coming to me from my own side. How am I supposed to feel? confident enough to win this war or even fight it for that matter when it begins with a lie and everything that my own lying eyes are telling me is telling me I'm the bad guy here. There's a classic sketch that Mitchell and White sketch where these two Nazis are sitting there. It's like, what, what if we're the baddies? What if we're the baddies? What? We've got skulls on our hats. It's a great what, bit. What, what I love is they kept the, they they, what, they what kept their the they kept their kind of uh, almost foppish English accents for that one instead of adopting some over the top German accent, which mm -hmm. which made it even funnier. Um, 
before I before I answer your question, and I will very, very quickly, you mentioned logistics at the beginning, and I just have to mention that in the comments section to a vodka pundit column that I wrote on Monday about the war, I came up with Steve's two rules of logistics. Steve's first rule of logistics is whatever you think you need, you're going to need more. Mm-hmm. And the second rule is whatever you think you need, you're going to get less. And this is how every army has functioned since the beginning of time. And it's how every army will function, or maybe I should say dysfunction, until the end of time. Just uh, There's not a soldier in the world that isn't going to be a cynic, especially with things like that. Um, you know, I never wanted to fight Russia. And I, re, Ukraine is not our fight. Uh, I'm not going to advocate a single American military person being sent over there to fight in Ukraine. It's... It's not our battle, but I am inspired by the by the bravery we're seeing there. But uh, as you were asking about Russia, when the Cold War, when we won the Cold War, I wanted nothing more but to see Russia fully integrated into this wonderful, beautiful, messy, wealthy, friendly, loving thing called Western civilization. We've got so much more in common than than we do separating us, and unfortunately, it it didn't work out that way. Um, so here we find ourselves at at serious odds. Uh, you know, Putin's waving the the nuclear, rattling the nuclear saber. Now uh, it's 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 a very ugly time. Um, but since this is not our fight, but because I am so inspired by this bravery, I think we should be sending the Ukrainians every single seven six two round we can manufacture. I think we should send them every javelin anti tank missile we can manufacture, and every Stinger anti aircraft missile we can manufacture, all to go to those brave people fighting an invader. And the thing is, I read a report today that Russia has committed almost 75% of its total combat power to this to this fight wow. in Ukraine. Of its total this combat in- power that was but it was of the total combat power that was on the Ukrainian border. No, they're, they're total of their threat. total combat power. Available to the whole country. Yes. So they have stuck their chin out. And when you've got a bully sticking his chin out that far, I think it's our duty to give the little guy a pair of a set of brass knuckles that he can hit that jaw with, because that's what Putin's on. He's he's overcommitted to an unconscionable war. And we need to make sure that the little guy has got a chance to smash that jaw. And the reason is not that I want to fight the Russians, but because they have set themselves in opposition to this beautiful Western civilization and. They're the bully. They need to get hit in the chin. That said, um, I read a lot of Russian history and during the Soviet days and still now during the post-Soviet days, your typical Russian rifleman is an 18, 19-year-old recruit sucked out of his home, given a rifle, the bare minimum of training. His sergeant, any any anybody who served in our military knows that your NCOs run the show. I mean, somebody's got to yes. train the lieutenants. Um, a Russian NCO is just a slightly older recruit who's a bully. He hazes. They, they, they steal rations from their own privates. This is, this is not a system that builds a cohesive NCO-based, fast-moving, fast-thinking, dedicated military. But there are actually two Russian armies, the, uh, the, the draftees, the big one, and a smaller cadre of very professional, highly trained, and well-equipped forces that are all volunteers. Apparently, the Ukrainians kicked them in the pants on, uh, uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday of last week with the attempted uh, 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 coup de main against Kiev. And when that happened, um, Russia really lost 
a lot of the it's it's pride and joy in its military. And that once that knowledge trickles down, if it hasn't already, that more than anything else, more than the logistical problems, more than the uh, more than the problem of invading a Slavic brother, the you know, the, the morale problem with that. But finding out that maybe a thousand or two thousand of the very best your army had to offer were killed or captured on day one or two of this war. If that information gets out, I don't know what's going to happen to those poor recruits. Those poor draftees, I mean. When the Germans began the Blitz of London and the horror of war actually began to set in, people would gather in bomb shelters and often in underground stations, in the tube stations, of underground subway that, that London has. It's a good place to, to be if, if bombs are falling. And in the early days of the Blitz, they found out that people were actually beginning to get very nervous and that, and that morale was falling rapidly. And what brought the morale back was when the British brought in anti-aircraft guns and fired them all night long. Now, those guns didn't hit anything. I think they probably shot down three or four bombers during the entire course of the war. But for the people underground in those bunkers who could hear could hear the German bombs going off, the sound of <laughs> we're fighting back. We are not just sitting here taking it. We're fighting back. It, it changed the entire mood of the country. Great Britain is the only power that fought all of World War II. It was the only country in, in of the major players that was there from the very first day to the very last day. And a lot of that was essentially because of the morale that one man brought to them and made that Winston Churchill gave the British people a, an idealized version of themselves that they could aspire to. And the more they aspired to it and the more they did it, the more they believed in it. And, and that cycle just kept going. It was, in fact, their finest hour. And one of the reasons that morale was so high when Churchill came to power was because Churchill didn't bring them good news. The reason people trusted Churchill was he started this whole thing off by saying, I have nothing to offer you but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. I'm not here to send you good news about how well we're going to do. This is going to be a desperate fight. We're going to suffer before we win. And people believed him. When, when the, the one man who is the objective of the Russian invasion, the president of Ukraine, is given a free ticket out to the West. And he says, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. That's the beginning of the resistance. And when recruits are being lied to in order to get them into combat, those are people that are not gonna fight to the end. One thing, we learned a lot of lessons from Vietnam. And one of the lessons we learned from Vietnam was that every single time we came in direct forces with U.S. forces and, and Vietnamese forces clashed head to head. We won every time and we won big every time. But the Vietnamese didn't give up. And on some level, I think there's a scene in Apocalypse Now that encapsulates the entire idea of how wars are won and lost. And, and, it, and it's Robert Duvall's line. And he's bringing in these American attack helicopters and they're, and they're, they're attacking this uh, this Vietnamese village. It's one of the greatest pieces of cinema ever recorded, ever. That helicopter attack right of the Valkyries are, is playing. And and somewhere in the middle of this, after he blows up a, a, a vehicle on a, on a bridge or something, and he's pulling out to make another round, uh, Duvall's character says, don't these people ever give up? 
And, and it turns out, no, they don't. For me, the, the war changed its perspective on day two or three when the president of Ukraine said, we are opening up the armories of the country's armed forces to any citizen who wants to fight. You can come on down and get a rifle and ammunition. When he made it a people's war, I said, okay, now this is something that Vladimir Putin did not count on. Because every single American that owns an AR-15 has had in his mind at some point or another, it's not a fantasy because a fantasy is something you want to come true. But certainly speaking for myself and everybody else I know, when you have that AR-15 in your hands, you are saying to yourself, if landing craft appear on the beaches of Santa Monica or if they appear in Atlantic City, this is here and I am going to take it there and I am going to defend my country. This is who we want to be seen as. I don't know if the if the morale disparity, which gets bigger every day, will be enough to save Ukraine as we know it today. But I think today it's much more likely than it was three days ago. And three days ago, it was much more likely than it was two days before that. So who can say? For Steve Green and Scott Ott, I'm Bill Whittle. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you next week right here on Right Angle.